Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome in to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe, back with you from the Pagnata Upstairs Studio here in the house. This is our studio, as we mentioned last week, in case you guys missed that. Um, and uh, this will be where we'll be recording probably for the rest of the season. Carolina hoping to have a uh, strong finish to the year, and they got off to a great start with a 56-24 to win over the Duke Blue Devils in Durham over the weekend. It is Carolina's first win in Durham in this rivalry since 2014. Carolina uh, takes the bell back with them, so uh, a lot of confidence around this football team on the offensive side for sure after what we saw once again um, and you know again this is the type of team that we were hoping Carolina could be for most of the year uh, Duke a team that's not having a great season but Carolina a team that scored in their first seven possessions of the game seven full possessions of course the possession right before halftime they only took one snap handed it off to Michael Carter so that one doesn't really technically count but you know this was exactly what the doctor ordered for Carolina after a just poor effort in the previous week against Virginia. Yeah, I thought they responded as well as we've seen them respond under Mac Brown since he came back to Chapel Hill. There was a lot going into that game that was riding on Carolina. Your season kind of was going to determine on what happened in that game. If you went out there and won, you still have a chance to make something special of this season. But if you found a way to lose this game – you don't know what the season would go from there. And I thought Carolina came out. They were the more focused team. They were, once again, the more physical team at the line of scrimmage, as we've seen them be in these rivalry-type games. And they just executed at a really high level from more go. This offense, when they are in rhythm, it's one of the best offenses in the country. And Sam Howell in this passing attack was at it once again. But it all started on the ground game. Javante Williams had his fingerprints all over this game. Duke, at times, had no interest in wanting to attack with him or Michael Carter. 
And I'm not saying that to be joking. They literally did not want to tackle them. If they could push them out of bounds, they would rather shove them out of bounds than lower the helmet and try to tackle them because they were running right. through those guys. And I think that's the thing is that Carolina took uh, the, that Duke's will out in the first quarter. You don't see that very often in rivalry games where you take a team's will out where they had just kind of given up. No, Duke quit early. And it was really fun to watch. I think Carolina took a step in the right direction on the offensive side of the ball. And I thought defensively, like, if you look at the numbers after the game, the, the, the numbers aren't great. They gave up a lot of yards, a lot of first downs. But the game was over at halftime. They were able to play a lot of young guys on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Des Evans made an impact. Tony Grimes got on the field. Right. And that's what you really wanted to get from that game was that you got the blowout win and you got to get some of your young guys on the field to get them some experience. We've seen some guys complain about that, about all this young talent that, got caught, that we brought in. Now, on the field, we got to see them on the field on Saturday and see what they're going to make impact uh, for years to come. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the defense because that was our first talk, talking point last week against Virginia. It's a little bit of a different mindset, like you said, let up a lot of yards, but a lot of those were late in the game. A lot of them were because um, you know you you had some younger guys, like you said, you maybe weren't playing the press man coverage that you usually play. That you if, if you're in close games, Duke was able to sort of move the ball down the field. A lot of it was in garbage time, though. So for Carolina, I mean, you get after the quarterback as well. Five sacks in this game. Uh, this is exactly what you were hoping to do after. Really, you know, there were a lot of people calling your group out, especially your defensive line that had struggled before this. You saw uh, some guys that you're not used to seeing here as of, you know, so far early this year. Guys like Des Evans, the true freshman, like you mentioned, he stepped up. Chris Collins, we haven't really heard of since that 2018 season. Yeah. He made a big impact in this game, played 44 snaps, had two tackles, both of which were sacks. So, uh, you know, Carolina, I think they, they, they're finding that they, do have guys that can sort of fit this skill set that they're wanting against some of these lesser opponents they're able to kind of show that off and that was what they did in this game so there's reason to be encouraged that Carolina has the right guys going forward it's just when you play some of those more talented teams which you'll see over the next few weeks they're going to have to step their play up in those types of games and really grow up quickly if they want to have success. Yeah, they, they needed that kind of performance because the next three games at home against Wake Forest, you got to buy it, then you got Notre Dame, then Miami. I mean, that's those aren't those aren't pushover punches. All right. three have quality offenses. They're really well coached football teams, and they're going to challenge this defense. But I thought the defensive line responded in a big way. Um, seeing Desmond Evans live in the backfield was a really sight to see because there was a lot of uh, hype around him coming into Carolina. I hadn't seen him on the field a whole lot, but you could kind of see what he what he can do in Jay Bateman's scheme. But I think the biggest thing is that the last few weeks we were really down on how our linebacking core played. But a lot of it, as I said last week, was that we weren't winning up front. Carolina won the battle up front, which is why Chas Surratt had 12 total tackles and Jeremiah Gimmel had nine. They were able to allow those guys to go find the football and make plays. And when that happens, this defense is marginally better than, than, than when they're not making plays. So um, step in the right direction. You still want to clean up. For them, the, the big thing defensively for this in this game was four defensive penalties of 15 yards or more. Mm-hmm. Um, I've said all year long, I don't think they're a smart football team, but this week, they had no problem yanking, yanking guys off the field. I, I complained about that after the Virginia loss. And, hey, where's the accountability after these these 
untimely penalties. This week, maybe because the game was out of margin or out of hand early, they took guys off the field. And so that's the thing, if you want to, if you want anything to nitpick, was that four personal foul penalties in this game, you got to clean that up heading into the final stretch. Yeah, no, I mean, it was good to see Serac get back on track. You know, he's the leader of your defense. We've kind of talked about it. This defense kind of goes as he goes. The games where he's struggled, the defense has struggled. The games where he's looked good, the defense has looked good. So yeah. Carolina's got to keep that going. They're hoping that he can be more consistent down the stretch of the season, as can their defense as a whole. Um, there is another guy uh, that we'll talk a little bit about later on. I actually have him as the defensive player of the game. See if you agree with me on that side of things. You move over to the offensive side of the ball. Um, we'll start with that passing game, and then we'll go ahead and talk about the running game as a whole. But I thought the passing game, again, didn't have a lot of pressure on him, really didn't need to have a big day because of how successful the Tar Heels were on the ground. But Sam Howell continues to make good decisions. Again, he did throw an interception in this game, but you still feel like, you know, 235 yards, three touchdowns in this game on 18 to 27 passing. It's pretty good. you you got to feel confident in what you're getting from your quarterback, especially after, you know, we were a little bit nervous that he could have a sophomore slump after those first two games of the season. He has shaken that off and still since then, he has thrown for over 1,500 yards, and he has a 14-2 to two touchdown interception ratio. So he's really settled in. And, you know, once again, you continue to see the emergence of some of the younger guys at wide receiver like Emory Simmons, like Choffrey Brown, in the absence of Bo Corrales, who once again had to miss this game. Yeah, I think the big thing, you look at why Sam Howell's play has upticked since the, the start of the season. I think Carolina – they quit trying to force the ball downfield the majority of the game. Now you're seeing them take those quick, the, the quicker throws. So he's in a rhythm early, and they've been able to run the football so good. They can just kind of just pick and choose when they want to throw the ball deep. Right. And so they're, they're no longer forcing the ball downfield, forcing the ball in the double coverage. And we all know he can read defenses at a very good level. He can make all the throws that you want your quarterback to make. And that's what you're seeing from the interception was just him trying to make a play. And with the game being as out of hand as it was, you can live with that. In a closer game, okay, you want to tell him tuck the ball and run because he could have ran for a lot of yards, but he trusted his arm to make a play. It didn't happen. He lived with the result. Um, I can't speak enough about it. You know, Emory Simmons only two catches for 67 yards. We had a big contested catch. I put Carolina in the red zone. That's giving them another threat to throw the ball deep with Bo Corrales right now, of course, out with the injury. Choffrey Brown's been a guy that they can throw the ball to at the line of scrimmage, and he can make guys miss and make plays and get that yak yards that we always talk about. And so I think you look, and I read about that in, in the postgame, was that I think Carolina now, their wide receiver core has just gotten so deep that now you know you can just rotate guys in and out to keep guys more yep. fresh because you're not having a talent drop off or production drop off with certain guys on the field as you would have had maybe last year or at the end of the Larry Fedora era so this passing attack is going to be always you know potent it's going to have the ability to make big plays but as we said all year long this is a run for his football team and we know why well I mean yeah the running game has been fantastic part of the reason why it was fantastic the offensive line really stepped up in this game. This was probably their best game of the entire season, considering that you were going up against Chris Frump and Victor Dimikaji, uh, two of the best defensive pass rushers individually in the ACC, yeah. probably the best tandem in the ACC in terms of pure pass rushing coming into the game. Carolina holds them to eight total tackles in the game, which may seem a little bit high to some people, but only a half of that was for a tackle for loss. That was it. Yeah. Everything else, Carolina took care of business. 
They push the guys around up front. And you got to remember, this is with Brian Anderson going down with an injury in game. Jordan Tucker not playing for most of the game. He came in very late in the game and played a couple of meaningless snaps at the end of the game. But Carolina's offensive line has found a way to, you know, even though they've suffered some of those injuries, rally around it as a group. You've seen Ed Montillas after he had to start early in the year, had some struggles, hit the bench. He's come back, looked a lot better these last couple of weeks. And you've seen some of the other guys also step up and really play well here. Sim Richards starting to get into a little bit of a groove. And even Kieran Johnson, who had to come in once again for a, an injury uh, in this one. And he ended up taking over at center for Brian Anderson. So, you know, even through all of that, Carolina's offensive line, just fantastic in a game where they needed to be against a very good pass. Yeah, no, they they played very well from the word go. They got such good push up front that there was holes been there for you and I to run through against that that, that dude defense. The biggest problem that we've said all year long with this with the offensive line has been the lack of consistency. They've got the talent. They've got the ability to be a really good, dominant physical offensive line, but they can't carry it over from one week to another. So that's going to be the thing we look for going into this White Forest game is what kind of performance do we get from this team? But you look at what they did against Duke. Um, it was really good. Jordan Tucker, while he was limited, you can see the impact he has on his offensive line. They're much better with him on the field. They've developed some some weird kind of depth because they've had so many injuries. If you've got some guys that you didn't think was going to be a part of your offensive line like Kyrion Johnson who now you know when he's on the field you don't feel like he's going to hurt you so that's been a blessing but they've got to find a way to just get more consistent because the the, the, the next game they got to go to is really going to determine what how we feel about the season and they've got to win up front if they want to win those three ball games yeah and you've got your running game as we mentioned they've been doing a great job all year up front in run blocking it's been that pass protections that's been the concern yeah. and they've been clearing the way for two of the best running backs in the ACC and in the country if we're going to be honest at this point Michael Carter 17 carries 85 yards you know, took the took the bulk of the carries in this one. I would say bulk. I mean, he took more of the carries is really just what it is. Um, and he, you know, had a, added a touchdown as well. Um, you know, over 700 yards on the ground this season, having a great year of his own. But Javante Williams is the guy that's the standout so far this season. 12 carries, 151 yards, three touchdowns on the ground. Also had a touchdown receiving in this game where he had four catches for 24 yards. He sort of turned into one of those do-it-all guys. I mean, it's uh, it's hard not to look at Javante now and think about him amongst some of the best running backs in college football, considering that he has 14 rushing touchdowns, which is tied for the most in college football, and 17 total touchdowns, the most among position players in all of college football. So um, he has just been fantastic, and Carolina's offense is thriving because of it. A guy that was a former three-star and, at one point, a guy that Carolina – didn't even have an actual spot in their recruiting class for in 2018. Yeah, he has developed into a do-it-all back. He mentioned in the offseason that he wanted to become a better pass threat out of the backfield. He's become that. And we all know, we remember last year, he wasn't a guy that you brought down on first contact. So he's kind of molded into a mini version, I guess, of a Giovanni Bernard as a guy that can do it all. And this offense is running with it. Um, he... He is just a wrecking ball, and when I, you know, I mentioned earlier, Duke didn't want to tackle him. There was a, a touchdown play where he ran through, got the ten yard line, just Tony, ran through Tony Davis, yes. uh, a punter, a, 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 used to be a punter, Hus could have been a Tariel. 
Right. Cardinals recruited him, and he made him pay for that. So he, he's really put his name in the national spotlight as one of the best running backs in college football up there with Travis Etienne from Clemson, Najee Harris over at Alabama. He's gotten some light uh, Heisman talk from us and, and, and other Tar Heel John fans. Bauman, yep. uh, for, formerly of uh, a, a few different places, a big-time uh, Tar Heel freelancer who has uh, apparently started the Javante train. Yep. I think we can officially uh, – Say we we have requested tickets and are waiting on feedback. Yeah, his so. his, his numbers are Heisman worthy. When you talk about the running backs that are in the Heisman discussion, the Heisman is a quarterback award. We right, know that, right? But for the running backs that get their name put into that that conversation, he's very deserving to be whispered in the same breath as those guys. And it's just it's phenomenal watching him play because he doesn't take plays off. He doesn't take doesn't take games off. Nothing like that. And uh, he's really when you look at Carolina's identity on offense, it starts and ends with Javante Williams. Yeah. I mean, some people have sort of made the argument that him being with Michael Carter could could hurt his case. Um, I think maybe, you know, Heisman voters might look at it that way. But I'm going to say this. I don't know if his statistics will be as good if he was the Tariel's number one back and there wasn't a guy that they could rotate on and off of him. It keeps him fresh. That's why he's been able to be as successful as he has. I mean, look, it's really hard to average 12.6 yards per carry in a game. That's what he did on Saturday because Carolina – Whenever he would have a big play, we can take him off the field, let him catch his breath again. Michael Carter's in there. He's, you know, just as serviceable as Javante is. He's had a ton of success himself. And then when Javante's ready to go, you can put him right back in. Talked about the missed tackles. A couple of weeks ago, broke 17 tackles against NC State. This week, broke eight tackles against Duke. I mean, this is just what he does. The numbers, uh, you know, we talked about comparison to Giovanni Bernard. Seven touchdowns, seven straight games with at least one rushing touchdown to begin the season. Last time someone had a streak like that uh, at all in for Carolina as a running back was Giovanni Bernard. Uh, four total touchdowns in a game. Haven't seen a Carolina uh, non-quarterback do that since Akeem Nix back in 2008 when he did it in a game against Boston College. So all of these things are adding up. I mean, look, you know, so far this season, six of his seven games he's had multiple touchdowns in. Only game he didn't was uh, last week against Virginia. Still found a touchdown on the ground in that one. You look at, you know, the numbers, I mean, 7.1 yards per carry or 7.17 yards per carry, which will be, you know, average out to 7.2 if you round up. That's third in college football amongst amongst, uh, running backs that have played in at least five games so far this season. Um, You know, I mentioned that stat just a minute ago, about seven uh, straight games with a touchdown to begin the season. Only one other running back in the entire country has been able to score a touchdown in every game this season while playing over five games this year. And so, you know, all that adds up. And here's what we're really saying. Do we think that Javante Williams is going to win the Heisman Trophy? No. I would be unbelievably stunned if that happened. As you mentioned, it's a quarterback award. Also, your team's success plays heavily into that. Carolina's 5-2. and two, That pretty much eliminates them yeah. from contention already. Um, you pretty much have to be in the college football playoff national championship hunt in order to win the Heisman Trophy. That's what they've pretty much shown us over these last couple of years. Um, if Carolina was to win out, and Javante Williams was to keep his stats around the same area that they are, he might have a chance to receive a decent amount of votes. I sort of compared it to what we saw with Andre Williams from Boston College a few years ago where there would just be too much success, even though the team wasn't great, 
They did enough to where you would be able to justify voting for him in the Heisman. And I think that's the point where you're hoping to reach if you're on the Javante Williams for Heisman train. Um, I still think there's a lot of different things that have to go right. Um, But I think, you know, one thing that we can all agree on is that with the numbers that he's putting up right now and with the fact that we don't see him slowing down anytime soon, he's definitely got to be squarely in the conversation to win the Dope Walker Award this year. Yeah, he's definitely going to probably take home that award or or be the runner-up depending on how his season unfolds. Um, But really, it's just been a joy and fun to watch him play because this is a guy that was lightly recruited. Didn't know if he was going to be on the, you know, on the roster at one point. Was very on the depth chart at the end of the Larry Fedora era. And now he is the primary focus of this offense, and he's putting right. up numbers week in, week out. Um, and so, you know, the the Heisman love will, will, will be fun because we entered the year thinking if, if there's a pros to Heisman love, it's going to be Sam Howell, and it's Javante Williams. So at least we're right. still getting that name that's good for the program, good for branding Carolina. So um, we'll see how the season unfolds. Yeah, still uh, a few more weeks for Javante to continue his amazing season, and one would think so. Um, It's pretty obvious who our offensive player of the game for this game is. It is very easily Javante Williams. Again, as we mentioned, 12 rushes, 151 yards. That averages out to 12.6 yards per carry, which is just fantastic for him. Uh, You don't really see numbers that high unless you're playing FCS teams. This was against an FBS Duke team, a team that has given Carolina a lot of fits in recent years, kept a lot of games closed. He scored three touchdowns on the ground, one uh, receiving, of course, had four catches for 24 yards as well. So just a phenomenal game for Javante Williams, who takes home his third offensive player. I believe that's right. I think it's either three or four already this season. He has just been fantastic uh, for the Tar Heels. You move over to the defensive side of the ball. There were a lot of guys that played well. Chasserat played well in this game, uh, as did uh, Jeremiah Gimmel, who you mentioned. But I think that the guy that deserves to be player of the game in this one is Patrice Renee. Five total tackles, two tackles for loss. So we helped out once again in the run game, which is something that he has been a lot better at than any other Tar Heel corner in his time on campus uh, here over the past two years. And really did a great job of locking down Duke's leading receiver. Jake Bobo came in as the team's leading receiver, still is the team's leading receiver after this game. He had just one catch for 14 yards the entire day. And you've got to remember, Patrice is not really 100% healthy. He is still, you know, trying to fight through that knee injury that he suffered last year. Never got to fully rehab and was basically put into a starting role because we don't have Storm Duck and we don't have Kyler McMichael available. Um, so, you know, you really got to hand it to Patrice for stepping up and, and playing a great game against a Duke team that wanted to throw the ball a little bit, but he just did a great job in coverage. You know, he had an individual great game. It's really good seeing him work his way back to being a big part of this defense after last year's injury. Uh, and another guy that had a, a nice game, um, and we've been hard on, Cameron Kelly had a really good game, and it wasn't just because the stats showed it. He had very good stats against Virginia, but he played really bad. He right. played really good on Saturday for, for Carolina, and they're going to need him to continue that kind of level of play moving forward. So good to see that some of the guys in the secondary so far this season that haven't had their names called too often are stepping up and uh, trying to get themselves on track for the latter part of the season. So we move on to preview the game against Wake Forest. And this game, Carolina, you know, this early in the season, this was a game that Carolina probably looked at two weeks in and said, okay, this is a game that we should probably win rather handedly. Since then, Wake Forest has reeled off four straight wins. 
Uh, this team starting to gain a little bit of confidence about him and Dave Clawson continuing to show why he is one of the more underrated coaches in the ACC. Carolina's got to come prepared in this game. They don't have Jamie Newman from last year. They don't have uh, Chaz Surratt, or uh, excuse me, excuse me, not Chaz Surratt, Sage Surratt from a year ago. They also don't have Scotty Washington from a year ago. But this team still has a lot of talent. They've got a really good head coach and they have a good amount of momentum coming into this game. So Carolina's got to be prepared for a fight in this one. Yeah, and the Wake's coming in, as you mentioned, rolling off four straight wins, coming off a blowout win over Syracuse. They've beaten Virginia Tech at home, a team that Carolina beat earlier this year. They beat Virginia, a team that Carolina, of course, lost to in Charlottesville a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And as, I think, as you mentioned, you, you started off, this is a well-coached football team. This starts with Dave Clawson, a guy who is as underrated a Power 5 head coach in the country. Um, there will be a very good chance that he won't be in Wake Forest next year, not because he didn't get a, he didn't do a good job because he did so good of a job yeah a bigger program that will, will hire him away from what wake forest uh has to offer so i think this game will be a lot tougher than we originally thought when we got the schedule back early in the summer and then of course after we saw wake forest on the field for the first few weeks because they've molded into form to a team that's going to play hard they're going to play physical for 60 minutes they beat carolina a year ago and i'm they're missing a lot of guys from that team that beat the tar heels but nonetheless they beat the tar heels and this game, this game is one that, that Wake, it probably means more to Wake than it does to Carolina in terms of, you know, how they view us, how we view them as rivals and whatnot. For Carolina, if you win this game, they win the quote-unquote state championship that we've always talked about. Right, right, right. Mac Brown would, uh, would improve to 3-0 against in-state opponents this year, which is a big deal to, to him and, and to us as fans. But I don't think it's going to be easy. I think I think it'll be a dogfight right. 60 minutes in Chapel Hill on Saturday. Yeah, no, that's what Carolina's got to come prepared for. I like the fact that you brought up that this is a rivalry that Carolina probably doesn't really recognize. A lot of their players don't. I feel like that's what we saw in the game against Virginia. I feel like a lot of Virginia players believe that the South Solis rivalry is an actual rivalry, yeah. not just because they've been playing yeah. for a long time. They, they take it with a lot more emotion than Carolina does. And it showed in that game, Carolina's got to come prepared in this game because Wake is going to be ready. Now, I think the guys that played on last year's team, yeah, they're going to want to find a way to win this game. They thought that last year they played one of their worst games of the year a year ago in Winston-Salem and almost came back and won that game. They should come in feeling that, look, we need to come out here and prove ourselves. Right now – You know, we've got to take care of our business and get some help if we want to make the ACC championship game. But in order to find a road to that, we've got to do what we've got to do. This is a game that you got to win on the way there. You can't look ahead to Notre Dame. You can't look ahead to Miami. This game you got to take care of first because this Wake Forest team, believe it or not, if enough things were to go right, this team could end up in the ACC championship game with only two conference losses. So that's how Carolina's got to look at it. These three games at the end of the year are are all going to have things on the line for both teams. So you need to come motivated to find a way to win all of these games. I I think the talent level for Carolina is is higher. I think, you know, if you look at it, um, you know, Wake's got some some talented players. Sam Hartman at quarterback is a pretty successful guy so far in his young career. Again, he got beat out by Jamie Newman last year. But, look, Jamie Newman's a guy that, you know, again, it's going to be weird because he ended up opting out this year. There were people that thought there was a chance he could be a first-round NFL quarterback if he had gone and played at Georgia. Now it's going to be different. No one's really talking about him because all the other guys that are playing on the field this year, like Zach Wilson, Kyle Trask, are helping their uh, you know their stock while he's at home hanging out. Um, but you know, I, I think there 
you know, Carolina has to realize that Hartman's got what it takes to win games. There's a reason he's won four in a row. Uh, Kenneth Walker Jr. Or, or Kenneth Walker the second, fantastic running back in the backfield. He's run for over 500 yards already this year, 11 touchdowns on the ground. And, you know, that's the thing. They've got a good duo in the backfield as well. Two guys that have run for over 1,000 yards so far this year. It's sort of similar to what you saw last weekend against Duke. But the only difference is, is you can't just try to take away their run game and say, well, they don't have a quarterback that can beat us. Hartman's a better quarterback than Chase Bryce's. Carolina's defense has to come prepared in this one. That pass rush that was there a week ago has to be there again. They have to find a way to win the line of scrimmage in this game and tackle in open space. Hartman's not a guy that can run, so you don't have to worry about that element in this game. That'll just be saved for your final two games of the season. But – you know, Carolina's still got some things that they have to worry about. On the flip side, not really that concerned. I think Carolina's offense is in as good of a groove as it's going to get at this point. They're really clicking on all cylinders. I think, you know, as much as Wake can try, slowing down that run game is a whole other animal. Now, you know, the thing that Carolina's got to do, the biggest area that Carolina's got to take care of in this game is on that offensive line, mainly in pass protection. You've been inconsistent all year. You've been up and down. You've had one game where you've looked really good, one game where you've struggled. You'll look good this past weekend against Duke. This cannot be your game where you come out and Sam Howell's under pressure the entire night. He turns the ball over a couple of times, and you guys make just too many mistakes once again to win the game. Their offensive line takes care of business in this one in pass protection. I feel like there's enough here that Carolina should be able to win this game. Yeah, this game I think has shootout written all over. Carolina comes in averaging 41 points per game. Wake Forest is averaging 37. They give up 25. We give up 28. So I think this game is going to lend to more of an offensive kind of game and that favors Carolina. Carolina's right. built to win shootouts. They're built to win track meets. And you mentioned Carolina's ability to run the football. Wake is going to 180 yards on the ground. That's 30 yards more than what Carolina's allowing. And we think our run defense isn't as, as good as it could be. So I think right. Carolina is going to be able to just show up and do what they want to do. This offense is averaging 538 yards per game. Think about that. That's top that's, five in the nation. Yeah, that, that's a lot of yards. Right. And you're doing it at will. This is a game where they should be able to move the ball at will, but it comes down to the trenches, as most big games and all important games do. If Carolina can bring the same physicality they had when they played NC State and they played Duke, they'll win this game a lot easier than what it could be. If they allow Wake Forest to push them around either on offense or defense and allow them to make plays, limit our backfield or get to Sam Howell, this game could be a lot closer, a lot tighter than what it than what it could be. So, um, but I, I think Carolina. You know, sometimes losses are a blessing in disguise, and the loss at Virginia allowed them to catch their breath, recollect. You fell out of the top 25. There's not a lot of pressure on you right now. So now you can just sit there. All you got to do is go back and win. You just win. Let everything take care of itself. Mm-hmm. You've got this game at home. They haven't lost a game at home all year. Um, and I think it's going to happen. I think it'll be a shootout. I think they'll win 45 to 35. So I think the defense will give up a lot of points and a lot of yards. Hmm. But this offense is going to be able to, you know, pick them up and, and get a big win at home as they head into a bye week. One other key, really quickly before I make my prediction, penalties. Carolina, yeah. you know, again, That's we've said week. it every week. We know that it's they're going to be there. This team is really struggling with discipline, you know, for the entire season. We've been trying to correct it for most of the year. But, again, you've got to limit the, the untimely penalties that we've seen in games, really just the mistakes as a whole. That's what cost this team against Virginia. That's what cost them against Florida State. If Carolina can eliminate those mistakes, 
and those penalties to a certain extent, yeah. you should have a chance to win this game. Uh, like you said, I like the fact that, you know, this this lines up to be a shootout. Carolina really thrives in those types of situations. You've got the right quarterback to get that job done. Uh, you look 180 yards on the ground allowed. That's not a great number at all, especially this season in college football, which is even more pass heavy than in years past. So I think they're going to have a lot of success. Keep the ball on the ground, run it with Javante Williams, run it with Michael Carter, open up your passing game, like he said, sort of use that short passing game if you have to early in the game. But I think your running game will open it up for you. And then you can sort of start to hit those shots downfield. Defensively, just take care of what you can take care of. Try to your best to, to slow down that run game. And make Sam Hartman beat you through the air because, you know, again, he's had some decent numbers, but he doesn't have a receiver over 500 yards receiving this year. And there's no one like Sage Surratt. That was the biggest problem for Carolina a year ago in that game. They didn't play bad. None of their corners played bad on Sage Surratt. He just is superhuman and found a way to make ridiculous catches all night. So you don't have to worry about him. Take care of business in this one, and then you can focus on that two-game stretch that you have at the end of the year after a bye week. I think Carolina does that. I like them in this game. Give me him 38-31. Carolina wins over Wake Forest. I think it'll be a close game because Wake is talented, and they've got a really good coach, but I think Carolina pulls it out to go to 6-2. Yeah. All right, so uh, a couple other news and notes that we wanted to uh, pass along to you guys on here. Of course, Carolina just received news today on the day that we are recording this uh, that they will not have three guys in the program going forward. Matthew Flint, who uh, Inside Carolina reported on Sunday would not return to the program, confirmed it, made it official today. He will not be back. Uh, Also, uh, you lose cornerback Trey Shaw, who was out for the season after suffering a season-end injury in the uh, offseason during some time. Of course, they didn't release uh, exactly what the injury was. He was just like Matthew Flint, sort of staying on as as a uh, an assistant, you know, a graduate assistant. Um, But he's going to move on, try to continue his career somewhere else as uh, both of those guys have entered the transfer portal and a big blow for Carolina. Backup center, uh, also just general interior offensive lineman because he could have played a little bit of guard. Ty Murray, uh, he has taken the medical hardship, which means his football career is over. So now Carolina has lost their backup center this week with uh, Brian Anderson being down, uh, possibly. We don't know about his status, but he was included on the injury report earlier this week uh, that was released on Monday by head coach Mack Brown in his presser. If he is not able to go, that likely means that Kieran Johnson would be the guy that would have to go from there. Uh, Carolina does not have a future center that you're looking at as of right now, unless it turns out to be Jonathan Adorno, who's really struggled there. Uh, The hope was that he would be able to move back to guard at some point, but they might not have that luxury going forward. They might have to continue working him at center. So that's something that'll be interesting to keep an eye on going forward. A couple of big guys uh, on the recruiting trail releasing uh, some of their top schools list. Uh, Of course, you've got uh, Zach Rice, who's going to release his top eight coming up. Uh, here soon. That's the five-star offensive tackle in the 2022 class that Carolina um, has uh, actually had visit two games so far this year, thanks to Donald Glover, um, or no, not Donald Glover, 
No, that, that I, I, why did I say that? I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember uh, Tony Grimes' dad's name, uh, Coach Glover. Uh, he has been the guy that has brought him to uh, those games so far this year. Um, he's been to two games for Carolina, one of the teams that is expected to land on his top schools list. And, um, you know, there are a couple other guys that are sort of getting close to narrowing down their decisions. We've, of course, seen a few other guys already narrow down those decisions. You can go on to the website right now. There is an article up there about that. You can go back. Uh, we break down uh, all the news on, that we got uh, last week in the 2022 cycle. You got guys like Jalen Walker, the, the uh, five-star in-state uh, outside linebacker, uh, who broke down his top six. You've got, um, of course, Colin Sadler, the four-star offensive tackle. He committed uh, already, so uh, unfortunately that doesn't go the way of Carolina. That goes the way of Clemson. Carolina uh, will probably still be in contact with him, but that one will be a tough flip. Uh, Benji Gosnell, the four-star uh, tight end out of East Surrey High School in Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. Uh, he committed to Ohio State. Carolina will definitely be trying to flip him as this process goes along. Uh, we got you know a little bit of a write-up on him on the website as well. Uh, so make sure you guys go back, check that out. Also some information in there on five-star offensive tackle Gunner Gibbons that you guys will want to check out. Um, we have you covered, of course, uh, with everything that you need for the Duke game. We have the Duke recap that's on the site, the trench report on the site. Zach Hubbard uh, also jumped in there this week. He uh, gave you his takeaways from the game against Duke. And then we have the stock report that's up there. Make sure you guys go back, check all of that out before you start preparing for this weekend's game against Wake Forest. We'll have the preview up. Actually, that should be up right now for you guys to read. And then we will have you covered throughout the weekend. Once the game's over, we'll have the recap. Sunday will be the trench report. And then Monday will be the stock report. After that, we have a bye week, so we'll have a little bit of downtime. There'll be a couple articles that'll probably come out during that time, breaking down exactly where Carolina's at in terms of their hopes to try to get into the ACC championship game. And then, of course, Carolina will finish the season out on a Friday against uh, Notre Dame at home. That'll be the uh, the – uh, season, uh, what am I looking for? Home closer? Uh, no, you have the game against Western Carolina at home. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, now I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how they do that because in case that Western Carolina game was to not happen, you would assume that the game against Notre Dame would probably serve as senior day in case that game against Miami the next week was probably. to get postponed. So more than likely that'll be senior day there. Carolina will close their home schedule against Notre Dame. Uh, it'll be on Black Friday, of course, so that'll be really interesting. First time Carolina will have played on that Friday since the 2016 season when they played NC State at home to close the season and then Carolina will go on the road to close the ACC season at Miami and of course there is that Western Carolina game on the schedule at home uh, on December 11th that's another uh, Friday night game uh, against the Catamounts uh, not sure if Carolina is going to play that game or not the ACC championship game has been moved back to the 19th so that will not affect Carolina from that perspective but you just have to kind of wait and see so uh, we'll keep you covered on all of that as we get towards the end of the regular season for football basketball season getting ready to start up a ton of great stuff on the website uh, you've been uh, a machine here over these last couple of days tell everybody what you've been throwing up there on the website as believe 
believe it or not, somehow we are two weeks away from the start of the season. Yeah, it really, it really snuck up on us. And yesterday I had a lot of work to do as Carolina finalized their non-conference schedule. So I got an article up about that. Then the ACC released Carolina's schedule. And, of course, everyone in the ACC schedule. So I got an article breaking down Carolina's ACC slate month by month and all the matchups for what's going to be a really difficult test for Carolina. They went 14-19 and 19 a year ago. The league did no favors given them the schedule this year. It's one of the toughest of, of any school in the ACC. They got some an article about, about that. I got a, an in-depth front court preview looking at the players that are going to contribute to the Carolinas in the front court, which should be a very deep uh, position group for Carolina. And then today, Garrison Brooks got named the ACC Player of the Year. I wrote that article. And so all that's on the website, and we're getting you ready for basketball season, which is right now day recording two weeks away. And backcourt preview coming out next It'll week. It'll be next week. Yep. You'll have season previews, season previews right before the game against College of Charleston. Then we'll be into full swing with previews, recaps, podcasts, and this, that, and the third. Yeah, and for the podcast, uh, make sure that you guys go same place that you can go for us uh, on uh, any of the podcast apps uh, that you guys have. Of course, Roy, uh, the Roy's Voice podcast and the Hilt Up Blog podcast, both on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, any of those. So make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, both of them. Rating and reviewing sort of moves both podcasts up the rankings, sort of gets them, you know, into the, you know, top tiers of, uh, you know, if you type in North Carolina Tutorials podcast on in the search bar, that's what we want so that people that haven't found the podcast just yet can track it down. As for uh, as for the Heel Tough blog podcast, which you guys are watching now, of course, we have gone to the video side of things as well. So make sure that you like and follow the Facebook page. That will uh, give you alerts whenever we put up a video. It'll tell you when we're premiering that video when you guys can check that out. And, of course, we also will put it up on game day as part of our pregame to get you ready for all of those games. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. want to thank Josh for uh, hosting with me. want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels!